0: If I told you what that what I put them lads through, you wouldn't believe it.
1: Hurling has to be the most difficult, eye hurting sport I've ever witnessed. Ladies and gentlemen, we've been described
2: as the bright of Hurling, but today we
1: got married. Oh, there's no rules. This guy just grabbed the ball, threw it up in the air, and then hit it. But, of I'd like to
0: thank you, the people of Wexford.
1: Hello and welcome to episode 5 of the Hurling Podcast. Wexford will play Galway in Wexford Park on Saturday in the quarterfinal of the league. Ben, Galway, the team you're looking for?
0: Not necessarily a team. I would have liked to play Waterford, but um, you know, you have to beat the best if you want to get there, so
1: but at least we've got home advantage and we don't have to travel to Salt Hill. Or were you looking forward to a few pints in Galway?
0: I was looking forward to a few pints in Galway.
1: <laughs> so,
0: so we'll have to have them in Wexford instead. Basically, what's going to be the same, exact same fixture as Championship. So, like, is that putting down a marker or is it just simply, this is a game and it's not related to Championship?
1: Oh, well... It's not related to championship really. Don Lok made the point on Allianz League Sunday that Galway might want this, that you know, there's no better rehearsal for a big game than to actually go through everything. So, you know, their their preparation for the game, they'll try lock down, you know, their travelling times, their where they're gonna stay, how they're gonna get ready for the game.
0: I would think they definitely would do that. Like, it'd be foolish for them not to not yeah. to work like that.
1: It's not their first time down in Wexford Park for a game either. I'm sure they have a fair idea what they're going to be doing. And look, at the end of the day, championship is always going to be different to, to league. Both teams are going to want to win the game no matter what.
0: Oh, I know it's not their first time down in Wexford Park, but it's this management team's first time true. down in Wexford. True, true. And they'll be wanting to do things their way and what works for them. Like Just because it worked for Michal Donahue or whoever, doesn't mean it's going to work for these guys.
1: Yeah, the last time I saw Galway against Wexford in Wexford Park, Galway looked miles ahead of the Wexford team two years ago in the in the championship. They were, but there's a lot of things after changing. Well, first
0: of all, one big one is Johnny Glynn was a massive factor in that game. He's not going to be there. He'll
1: it was Johnny Glynn. It was it was the Johnny epitomized <laughs> it, but it, it was the speed and strength. And the conditioning of the Galway team Compared to the Wexford team that day But you're right, I mean That has changed completely Yes, Johnny won't be there But regardless, taking Galway out of account I think the Wexford team are so better conditioned now too
0: So better conditioned They've brought the game plan on a bit more It seems to me that the the players get more used to the game plan And they're adding little bits to it the whole time So that should be a factor as well and Galway, in just in general, Galway, we have to say, are not quite where they were back then.
1: Yeah, I mean, Galway are a funny one. They're all Ireland champions three years ago. Last year, they get knocked out of Leinster at the group stage after beating Kilkenny in the championship in Nolan Park. The first time Kilkenny had had been beaten in Nolan Park in the championship in a very very long time. Then they started this year. They beat Westmeads comfortably enough. Then were completely second best to Limerick, beaten by Waterford for, by a point. Bet Cork, and then at halftime of the Tip game looked to be completely outclassed, and then came back from seven points down to win them by eight.
0: Again, you have to take the wind into factor there. Like a lot of people reckon that Galway were just the best team throughout the whole game, but the fact. that the wind in one direction kind of a loud tip to and plus, you know, when you have forwards like John McGrath who can who can take their chances, you know, it can skew things a different way as opposed to, you know, the balance of the game.
1: Ah, yeah, I mean, they had John McGrath in the second half too, though. <laughs> they did, but they couldn't the chan- get to pull up some. The chances weren't there, no.
0: No, because they're always, some of their forwards are really looking well, like particularly the second goal that Conor Whelan got was just incredible. And Brian Concanon Kaka- Brian looks like, you know, he, he always was a decent forward the last couple of years, but he looked really, really top, like a top forward the other day.
1: Yeah, he was always a decent forward, but he was more so of a bit part player too. I mean, not in, in my opinion anyway, but the league this year, and especially on uh, on Sunday, he he put in a fantastic performance and Evan yeah, but, two on the freeze he scored 13 frees in what were very difficult conditions
0: yeah like you're missing a lot with Joe Canning obviously but it doesn't look like if this guy hits the freeze like he did on Sunday they're not missing anything from the freeze like I mean 13 freeze in those conditions you know I, I did see the game ref was Johnny Murphy again
1: <laughs> yes he
0: was <laughs> Maybe he gave a few soft frees, but at the same time to score thirteen, got a, quite a good point from play as well. He looks a decent prospect. We have to Wexford are gonna to have to make sure not to give away too many frees. As in any game, I suppose. If if Canning was still there with you know, we wouldn't want to be giving away a freeze. So the the threat's no different I suppose in that respect. It's gonna be a very close game, I think, on Saturday. Galway don't have any bad
1: hurlers. And going back to our interview with uh, David Redmond, he was saying that Davy Fitz is probably, you know, holding a couple of cards close to his chest. I wouldn't say he wants to show his hand to Galway. I mean, he wants to win this game. There's no doubt about that. He wants to be in a league semi-final. But I'm I'm sure there's one eye on the on the championship as well.
0: One hundred percent. Championship is. Is the main, but I think he'll be going all out to win this game.
1: When you say all out, do you think anything that he had had planned for Galway in the Championship is going to come out in this game? Or do you think he tries different things?
0: No, he might try a few different things. But I think with 20 minutes to go, the game is in the melting pot. He's not thinking about me. He's thinking about right now. Maybe in the lead-up to the game, he'll think a bit differently.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see the starting lineup anyway. There's been a few changes in the last few games. There's people getting back to full fitness, which is great to see. It was people tried in different positions against Carlo, which was also great to see. But the quarterfinal of the league is the quarterfinal of the league, and you'd imagine it's going to be a close to full strength, 15 named.
0: I would think so. What I'm going to find interesting is what's going to happen at the two cornerbacks. Because I reckon Damien Reck is going to be moved back into the corner. And then you kind of have a, a scrap between Joe O'Connor and Simon Donahue for the last spot. And it's even going to be more interesting considering the form of Connor Wheelan and Brian Concannon. I mean, they were kind of left in on their own against Tipperary, and the two of them caused a lot of damage it's going to be vital for those those two lads in the full back line to look after
1: those. In episode 2 of the Hurling podcast we brought you part 1 of our chat with Dermid Ling and here's part 2.
3: If we can go back a bit further now. I was reading your article not your article the article about you mm. in the times yesterday and you were talking about the 1999 My- Leinster minor final where you drew a Kilkenny. Then a couple of years, maybe had a tough night that night. Went out, got thrown out a place in Wexford town. You and somebody else were dropped for the replay. Mm. Got hammered in the replay. It resonates with me because I was part of the the minor panel in '05, and Griffin used to go. Griffin was part of the setup, and he used to go on rants. And one one of the rants was he used to do a lot of giving out about second year minors how they thought they were mm. the business yeah. and then one of the rants was these lads who drew with Kilkenny didn't even beat Kilkenny thought they were the business went out on the town and we got hammered the next <coughs> day can you
2: speak a bit about, about that experience it's interesting to have like the thought of Willie complimenting your efforts and then <laughs> Lee Griffin a <laughs> little while later use me as an example of what not to do. And sure, I mean, he was dead right, like, and he is dead right. And he'll always be dead right in it, uh, I feel, because we made an awful, an awful mistake. As life does, like, it, it, it became the perfect storm that it wasn't, for me anyway. I wasn't, uh, I wouldn't have been in, uh, I didn't, I wasn't interested so much in drinking. I was really, in, like, I was really into my game, you know. But I definitely was starting to see the benefits of being... Of of having the Wexford Minor tracksuit That mentality you know, I was beginning to see and feel that And it was giving me a little bit of acceptance In places where I wouldn't have felt that I had it before And I was attaching myself to that a little bit So the possibility of going out in the town You know, you're just back after Two years of trying to get into Moonies And trying to get into Reds And trying to get into these places As a 16 year old busting out the fake ID And all that stuff (laughs) Thinking that That Life gets more interesting once you get past those bouncers, and then kind of to hit that age, uh, and now to have this like having played on television in a time when it was kind of a, it was a big deal to play on television, you know. And I don't. Uh, I, I I made a I made a, 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 a I remember being on the bus very vividly uh, and not being able to take Liam's. I wouldn't say a suggestion. I'd say order to go home. And I just thought, yeah, right, we're all here now in town. Like, should we just go in for a little while, and that'll be fine? Uh, and we went in, and there was it was it was a, a full on session for a few fellas. Definitely, like a few lads just had way too many way way too many beers. Uh, I had two too many, which was the amount that I had two pints of Guinness. But I was in on that vibe then. And uh, so I was part of the whole thing and then Big P, Big Peter Kavanagh came over to me at the end of the night and like, we were all young fucking gums really, like just out celebrating, not, not celebrating but just out living your life, like just you're out in the pub, like you know, big deal, like big deal, we are out in the pub, big deal, six days to go, but of course, it is a big deal because it shows your attitude, it shows where your head's at. Now, I think the GA, and I think it's, I th- I've think i thought this for a long time, that we're far too excessive. We actually create these problems sometimes in how excessive we are about alcohol and thinking that if you drink a pint three months before a game, you're going to fall apart, like this, these drinks bans and treating people like children. And when you treat people like children, you tend to act like children. Yeah. And so I feel that and I'm not putting any responsibility anywhere else other than on myself, um, we made the, a poor decision, and Big P came up to me at the end of the night, and we did. Uh, we were battling it out for midfield as well, and uh, I mean, I had a horrible day. I was taken off after fifteen minutes, like you know, it never happened before, never happened since. But I was taken off fifteen minutes, hauled ashore, the Leinster fine looking forward to it all of my life to play Kenny Leinster final and I, and I got taken off for 15 minutes because I was cat and I pulled on Jackie Tyrrell on the stand about two minutes after the ball left I was just so pent up and hyped up you know so I did a shit day and uh, we went and, had, and I had a couple of pints and um we got. peak P came up to me at the end of the night and we well, I felt like we developed a good old relationship at that stage, the two of us, and battling it out for the same position and he picked me up, as big, f- lovable character that he was and f- I, the bouncer, I knew the bouncer, uh, who he saw it and uh, it's a man by the name of Stafford and he saw it and he uh, threw us out and then the story went back, brought back by yeah I don't know it was brought back by people maybe who who wanted to bring it back for for some reason or another back to the, the management and uh, your man the, like the bouncer after it was like yeah look what, that was, a, that was a, I'm sorry that I did that like I didn't I, I knew you know it, I, I, I can stand over my I can stand over my day I don't need to explain it now but um Griffin yeah Griffin got a hold of us and Timon up in the room upstairs and yeah uh, and he tore, he tore strips off us, like and it was a good it was a good learning curve, it was a good lesson to learn at a young age. It was good to meet that level of honesty, even though if the you know, if you did it now, like there'd be repercussions probably. I don't know, like you wouldn't accept speaking to people probably in this day and age in that way. But at the time that was the norm and it was hard and it was honest and it was real and it impacted me greatly. So, um, I was, I suppose, eventually grateful for it, but I wasn't grateful for it when I was dropped for the, semi- for the, for the replay. I wasn't grateful for it when my father came into the, the, the building site I was working on at the time uh, to break the news to me, and it bawled my eyes out. I wasn't grateful for it then, but I had dug it myself. Uh, I'd made it myself, and I now it was time to, to line it. And, uh, and I still revered and still continue to revere Adelian Griffin and his contribution to to the GA in general in particular to extra GA so it is all uh, yeah I said played golf with Liam and George Connor one day I'd say he was 28 or 9 and he was like a child for the whole eighteen hours. like it was just like how do I, how do I get to be going around this golf course with these two like you know so all water under the bridge uh, obviously but a learning curve and I definitely feel like chatting to the young fellas now like and just trying to give them some perspective a little bit of perspective about those things you see that the outs the how it looks can sometimes colour how it can be and that's a typical just minor mistake I suppose it's a minor mistake that's what you do you say you had a you think you had a bad game
3: in the in the drawn game yeah so do you think that it's possible
2: they might have dropped you anyway for the replay <laughs> <laughs> well I mean I wasn't on the panel even like I was out in the stands so okay yeah, right. yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, so, I mean, it's in the back of the paper and you know my mother was working in the bank in in AIB and this was like she dropped for disciplinary reasons and is you know the way it is in Wexford like it's a small we're a small community yeah. the hurling community and everybody knows and any kind of story like that certain people as well like I felt throughout my career at times that Brendan Furlong would often write things about about he felt he was being honest I felt he was being overly critical and sometimes thrived on information that was uh, yeah. I don't know, I don't know, I suppose there's no point in maybe following that track too far, but I, I felt that anyway there was there was some, a bit of glee in the reporting of that in some way, uh, and it didn't do any favours for anybody, and in a small community that we are, um, it, it certainly was a tough time where I felt I've let people down and all of that kind of stuff, you, you you take all that stuff on unnecessarily probably, I just made a mistake which is fine now, Like, but at the time it was definitely it was heavy. Would I have been dropped anyway? Probably they put me on for the Tipperary the game and I got taken off with 15 minutes to go. Didn't do a whole lot better, to be honest. So it just wasn't, it wasn't a good... I was definitely too intense about the game at that stage. That's what, probably what I see or saw in Joe, maybe, and some other players, that sometimes there's a, a tension in your body that disallows any feeling of flow to emerge, and that's... Yeah, it's just such a waste. It's such a waste of precious energy, you know. Uh, and you wish you could probably go back and play uh, and then try and resolve that. But you just try and do it. Yeah, you just try and speak about it now and hope that other players don't fall into it so
3: quickly, you know. Yeah. I wasn't going to ask you, this wasn't a planned question now, but since you mentioned
2: earlier, mm. have you ever done Dark? No. <laughs> What's Lockdark? Um, They do, I think, it's maybe... Um, seven days or maybe three days but it's like up all night bare feet uh, walking around I think maybe this, a church and you're down you're praying it's more it's more it's a more uh, stringent I suppose Catholic practice um, and where I recognise what it's from because I always would have just thought it was something different um, is there are there's a Buddhist practice um, or a yogic practice that's called um Maybe it'll come to me in a second But it's 10 days of uh, Vipassana And it's 10 days Of total silence uh, You get 3 meals a day And you're sitting in meditation For about 8 hours a day Sitting And you go through Yeah you go through Pain of pains, and it's something that I would like to do to f- to meet those parts of myself that I haven't. You you meet them briefly in yoga and meditation normally, but this is just a much more extreme version as it goes on for longer. And I think Lockerg is probably based on a similar uh, similar concept. Have you done it? No, certainly not. Doesn't sound like you have either. <laughs> <laughs> it's not on
3: my list. Yeah, yeah, not yeah. Just,
2: I, okay. I, I I sometimes the, um, I'd be drawn to that a little bit, like the notion of suffering. Uh, to try and find equanimity in suffering I, I, I'm not I, I have no great problem with that uh, I think that we may be in throwing out the the church and those forms of spirituality uh, that sometimes we don't ever really sit in suffering and sacrifice and I think meeting your suffering is not actually the worst thing in the world and it would do people very good to meet it a little bit more sometimes. There's forced suffering that people go through that you wouldn't want anybody like Janie Max. since I've had my little man like to think of something like to, for, to think of parents who like lose a child or something like I'm just like I, it, it doesn't it just there's a, like a, a block like a, a total yeah. inability to comprehend how somebody can live through that. I'm not talking about that kind of suffering. I suppose it's just it's just to meet your own internal suffering a little bit uh, and and see what it tastes like and see what it feels like and see if you can let it go. Um, that's that that'll be a I think that's a I think it's a valuable practice sometimes. You know,
1: to go into your journey, I suppose. Like you played with Wexford up until what, 2010? 2012, 2012. 2012 the
2: Start of 2013, I, 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 maybe. What year? Did you, league, yeah. yeah,
1: what year did you have the incident with the Cairo Chamber? Was uh,
2: that 2007. 2007. That was 2007. Yeah, after the Leinster final between the Kilkenny game and the Tipperary game. Yeah, can you
1: go through that a little bit? I just remember at the time, I think it was the first year that you were off the Wexford panel myself. I didn't know the actual reasons. I probably heard that. There was a bit of an injury, and that you went traveling. And yeah. I was thinking, what are you doing to us? You're our best yeah, player. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like if you're gone, there's basically no hope. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think it was even it was reported right. It didn't filter down what actually was wrong and what actually no. happened to you. It was just that Gizzy's gone traveling. Wexford Ireland is back in the dooms
2: yeah maybe further down into it as opposed to backing it like we were just it it definitely wasn't um yeah the decision made me in the end like i couldn't stay i my 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 body was just my body was broken very very badly, and my mind was was broken because of that after three years of trying to Mill through it and not understand it and try to explain it and mess that up and mess up how it got down and how it got out and all of that stuff, it just became very chaotic and very, it began to limit me an awful lot because I was very, very tired all of the time and after going in, I suppose, to the cryotherapy chamber which works very well maybe for other people I just was at some kind of limit in myself and I went in to that uh, I probably you know we played Kilkenny the day before that's a high intensity experience went out for a few beers that night that was fine we hadn't drawn we were, we were allowed to go for a couple of beers and we did and maybe that's a late night you're getting home at 2 in the morning and you're up the next morning to go into Cryotherapy Chamber and we are already it's already a big week it's already like a big release you know there's already a lot going on and so maybe I was just at a a particularly fragile time and I couldn't deal with the fact that the cold seemed to get into my bones in the cryotherapy chamber. And because of that, um, yeah, I just couldn't eat or drink or sleep. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, has as my body ever really recovered? I don't think yeah. I sleep as well as I... I don't sleep as well now, certainly. I still have to really mind what I eat. If I don't, I, I pay the price for it, um, which is fine, you know, because there's a lot of learning in that too. But at the time, it certainly was yeah, yeah, it was the worst. It's it it the worst thing that ever happened to me, unquestionably. Like the worst, the worst experience ever. Because I was enjoying, I was, in, I was struggling with it, but I was enjoying the game and all. two thousand seven, in 2007 Jeez, I was fully in the enjoyment of at that yeah. stage. But after that, it became a battle. And probably that thing that I'm talking about with the lads, you know, depending on Lee or depending on these fellows and thinking we have. To, I felt that. Wexford, um, the lads involved in GA and hurling in Wexford at the time, I I fully and only have, my, my, my own responsibility is I have to make the calls that affect me. But I do think if we were to take a more holistic view of the fellas playing, when they're injured, when they're obviously, when they're not going to, you know, like with a cow, like when they're not going to the trough, you know, there's an issue... Like, there's a reason they're not going. You have to you have to see... or You can see it in their movements. And my... It was clear I wasn't right. Like, and I was telling them I wasn't right. But I was still picked every day. Like, I was still... Yeah. I was still being asked to lead from the front. And and I was still doing it to the best of my capabilities. Like, it was still... It was school, sleep, train, and repeat. Like, that was just the way it was, you know. Straight home in the evening, straight to bed, up, get a bit of food and go training. And that sleep in the afternoon was, like, essential for me to be able to go training. So... I think that, I, I, I suppose in hindsight, it would have I feel like it would have been nice like for someone, you know, it definitely would have just been a nice thing for someone to come and say, look at, we need to figure this out. You're clearly suffering, so take a step back and let's have a look at it. Now, in fairness to Liam and the lads in the last year, they, they, they went about it and... They got me in to see a fella in the um, Tropical Medical Bureau in Dublin. And I had already tried this treatment three times. Uh, I can't think of a drug. It just basically destroys everything in the the biome and uh, in the gut and kills whatever bacteria, whatever is there, but it kills all the positive stuff as well. So I was after trying this three times and it damn near, it just wrecked my body the three times. And so I said to your man in Tropical Medical Bureau and I found this a couple of very very special exceptions of doctors uh, our own Dr. David Curtis being one of them was I found a great arrogance in doctors that they weren't actually able to listen to what I was saying to them and I would say to them look at please don't prescribe whatever, like I, I'll, I'll do whatever treatment you want me to do like I, I want to Go on this road and trying to sort it out, and everything. And I felt I was being supported by the lads in the management team as well. And after all of the things that we went through, and the list of stuff that we did, and all that stuff, he came back and he said, "I want you to just take try this drug one more time." And I was just like, Are "You, for real? Like I that's going to obliterate me now for a month, and I can't afford to to, to go back into that." Like so that. And the lads kind of were saying you know they were a bit of a medical background there as well they were kind of saying well look just do what you're told by the doctor and, I, and when that kind of when that was the dynamic that, that was in front of me i just kind of i, I kind of had to say i suppose okay I, I need to obviously travel a different road uh to find out some of these to find out how to resolve this because it's not working and when carlo Medicine is in the league in 2010 uh, I was like and I, I think we'd, we maybe won 14 won 12 or something like that and I think I got 10 points or 11 points on the day and I seemed to be hurting well but I was still like shattered all the time mm-hmm. and I was like okay this is too this is too much and it actually took I think Stephen Bandler one of the lads said it. maybe Willie Dorn I think the fact that it came from Willie Dorn because I would have had great respect for Willie's uh, even though he was always gatching, and like he was when he when he was serious like a good any good buffers alley man he was very serious and uh, and he kind of said you know this is too much for him he seems to have to do everything and we're not really responding and and I think when he, when he said that it gave me a little bit of a license to accept that myself as well because like, I was still trying to be the best hurler I could be to help progress things and get yeah. us out of the hole we were in, and but when that happened and when I maybe heard that, uh, it freed something up in me and I decided that I'd that was it I'd I'd give it that year, and then go and I remember playing against Galway in Nolan Park that year and I got sent off, uh, in the last like second the seventy third minute it was ridiculous it was a late challenge but I don't know who it was but he dropped the ball and I was already committed to a shoulder he was coming up. And had he caught the ball and come up, I'd have caught him perfectly, but he dropped the ball and went down, and I ran straight into him. I think it was Sexton or one of the Cork referees. And he just, yeah, he sent me off in the 73rd minute, and we appealed it. We um, went up to Craw Park and tried to defend it, and I saw somebody in in inner workings of that whole defence process, and it was very, very strange. Uh, It didn't seem like the GA. I felt like it was just... I was being given lessons time and time again to say get away from this it's not it's not the thing you know it's not the thing you're comfortable with anymore it's not the thing you love anymore it's something else so get away from it and maybe come back to it and so um, I knew after that after the Galway game I felt that was for some reason I think maybe we, we were always going to get Tip or Cork or somebody and I knew I knew that that was I knew that was it when I was sent off I was like that's it I'm going to be suspended for the next game and that could be the end of my hurling career and I wasn't ready for that and I went into the dressing room in Nolan Park it bawling my eyes out I just it was the strain of it, you know, was just yeah. so uh, on the surface. And I remember RT wanted to do an interview uh, after after that game. I guess they sensed that you know the, the sending off was harsh, and the manager had come out and said uh, McIntyre had come out with Galway and said so it, wasn't a it was not it the sending off. Was he was referee thinking? And so yeah, went out and 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 did that. Still, yeah. Gutted, like just really, really, the my insides gutted out of me, like, and um, and that was kind of it. Yeah, we we, we got hammered by temporary, uh, in the end, and and I and I took off and and uh, went on a different journey of of healing, um, and really went looking for a different type of healing because I felt that the medical model here had limitations um, that I had exposed to myself for some reason, and I needed to find. A different way, so I had to go and look for that, I suppose, and I kind of fell into that as well. I could very easily just gone to a pub in Sydney, yeah, and spent a year there. Uh, but I, I got lucky in meeting a fellow who I who I travelled with, and and he opened my eyes to an awful lot of things, and that was a great gift because I would probably wouldn't have come to them on my own, but but he brought me to them, so that was uh, yeah, it was a lucky uh, lucky stroke.
1: That's you know. kind of where I wanted to go with this because you said going to the chirotherapy that day was the worst thing that you ever did, Mm. but you wouldn't be where you are now if you hadn't. Do you look at it like that at all, and the journey that you went on, kind of because of it, would you go back and change it? If you could go back now to that Sunday that you went in, would you still Mm. go in?
2: No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go in, no. I wouldn't go in. I mean, is that to say I wouldn't change uh, everything? I mean, I think what we've probably discovered from, even from a a scientific point of view now is as we've gone down, as we've gone down in trying to break down the, the fabric of, of reality, we've come to the realisation that a very, very small fragment of something is behaving in some way and that small fragment is part of something much bigger and that thing that's much bigger is behaving in a completely different way. And so contradictions are alive in the universe all the time and both of those things are true. It's both the worst thing that's happened to me in my life and it's the best thing that happened yeah, yeah, in yeah. my life because I wouldn't go into it again. No, I wouldn't because... I don't think we belong in cryotherapy chambers, to be honest. I don't think we belong in manufactured conditions that aren't real. I don't think we belong in a mindset that thinks that you have to be right all the time. And if you can't, your body says no you have to listen to your body and you have to understand that that's an intelligence in itself and your ego shouldn't overrule that, you should be able to listen to it and people around you should have respect for that and say you need six weeks to heal that, you could get back in four and maybe risk having a problem later on in your life so just take the six and you know what, maybe take seven just to make sure and we'll be fine without you and I think to put us into these conditions I think that's the way the game is going more and more where a more scientific measured approach is forcing us into situations that are a little bit unnatural to our our bodies and our and the interaction with what we call the game and the ga and everything else and i think that's i wouldn't go into it because it's not it's not natural but would you have figured that out i mean it's back to the same point I, w- yeah. I, I, I wouldn't and yet I am sub- I suppose in some other way maybe I would I don't yeah, know yeah, where yeah. it would have left me exactly. or had I, had I gone it or not like I mean as I'm thinking would I have gone in like is the question you're asking me as I as I interpret it is the question you're asking me would I go into the cryotherapy chamber or would I would I have my son who I wake up beside every morning like because one of them like that's the that's the sequence that's of events yeah. by going in I went way in and I went way out and I came back in and I went off down to West Kerry and I went I, I left West Kerry and went to Australia to try and heal more and then I came back because the winter would have been too tough for me and I came back and I tried to live in Dublin for a while and I wasn't able to live in Dublin because it was just it was just too much stimulus for a mind like mine that tends to get caught up in things very very easily and I went down to West Kerry again back out to the wild and 200 yards up the road from me and equally some in some respects damaged character in terms of her an experience that she'd had of, of overdoing her her body like you know where she needed healing as well and needed the healing that's in the west in the western lifestyle because she had went into that she now found herself down there and she was a performance artist and a poet and a writer and a magical character who I fell completely and utterly in love with and not long after that much shorter than I always thought. Like I always thought you had three years kind of and then got married and you had a kid and then you had a second kid and all that stuff. And that didn't happen. Six months after we met, we learned that we were having a child and it was the best news that I'd ever gotten because that six months seemed like a lifetime dreamt up into a reality that was now something I woke up with every day and it was only fantastic and only beautiful and it's only gotten more and more beautiful. Would I have found any of that had I stayed and played and maybe gone down a road where I began to identify and continue to identify more and more with my sense of myself as Gizzy Ling, the Wexford Horror, a Wexford town who was teaching in the Gael School and who was missing out on some of the other aspects of my character and my beliefs about the world because this part of me was so strong. Would I have come to those places, I would... And they wouldn't all in the same, yeah, bread, yeah, yeah. you know. This uh, Australian friend, he said, was it this Tom? He was Chilean. No, Tom. Tom was an Australian fellow from the, the letter I was talking about in the article. Tom Harkin, oh, okay. who was Jim Stein's right hand man with, okay. in with that's the Reach Foundation. Um, There's yeah. a bit that
3: uh, you said you were talking to Tom. You said you were coming across as an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Does that, that remind you right I'm now, nervous. like her?
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: no, that's what I want to ask you. That he said. I love the voice of truth here he on, it, you on, know on this side the <laughs> <laughs> keep your grounded bye <laughs> he said oh you're in the spiritual asshole phase yeah how do you feel about, have you moved on from that or what are your thoughts on that right now
2: <laughs> um I yeah no I definitely have I definitely have I mean I'm sure it's just I'm sure there's still aspects of it there like do you think like if you I, I don't I don't I just don't know about this I, there are people who are very strong on it and there are people who are, who are not so strong on it and I don't know I haven't attached myself to a truth on it yet but if I see somebody close to me or not close to me who's doing something that is damaging to themselves that's damaging to the environment that's damaging the our the ecological system of which we're a part of is my is, is, is the notion of the Buddhist notion, well, it's not a Buddhist notion, but that's, they, they're, they're very big on it, I suppose. Should I be compassionate for that person and say, well, that's where they're at now. And maybe they'll go on a journey where they realize that by spraying poison into the ground, uh, th- th- this actually ultimately is quite a bad thing for our overall environment. And it's bad to eat it. It's not good for your system it's, it's causing cancers, it's causing all of these things. Uh, and we know this, and it's proven, and so why do we keep doing it? Now, do I meet that person with judgment and say, what are you doing that for? Stop doing it, stop spraying it, stop eating it, stop planting it. Stop doing that. Or do I say, well, that's where you are, that's where you're at in your journey, and I have to accept that. I mean, do I have to accept it? And I don't, and I don't know. And is it am I being an arsehole to think that I know more than that person? Is that being an arsehole? But what if I do know more than that person? What if they, that person is saying, well, I don't think that that... I don't know if it's sprayed or not because I didn't see it being sprayed. I bought it in super value and there was nobody spraying it in super value. But they were... but but And it came from the ground and maybe it's fine. I don't know. But everything around us is telling us and I believe that the earth, the alive being that is the earth is telling us, you can't keep doing that. You can't keep doing... You can't keep spraying shit on the ground. You can't keep doing it. Okay, you can argue we have to feed all the people in the world... That's uh, maybe a different thing, I don't know. I think we need different systems of doing that. But when you meet that person, and when you start exploring these things, and you meet that type of knowledge, or lack of knowledge, is it being a spiritual wanker to meet them compassionately, or with judgment? Or I, I don't know. What I, what I suspect is that something has to change, and... I'm unsure of how to go about that because I, I very clearly understand. That I might sound like an absolute asshole <laughs> saying some of these things and talking about connection to the earth and talking about the aliveness of the earth. I do understand that. I understand because I know my people. I know the people of Wexford. I know the pe- I, I lived here. I, I and I loved here. And I couldn't do anything but be here and, and love here. But I do see. I suppose I do see things. Based on experiences I've had, based on it's it's in the, in the article like that was a moment in time that ha- like that happened to me. This this happened and this happens to people all the time. I had a a conversation, a, a, an actual conversation, not with words, but a very clear conversation, a very clear interaction with some kind of a spirit in nature where I wasn't on drugs, I wasn't taking anything, but I had a very clear interaction with something that said. You can't keep taking from me. You can't expect me to heal you. You can't expect to constantly extract. You have to realize that I'm also alive and I can see you. And I could feel that very, very clearly. Is not it just a movement in my mind that's not true? I don't know. When I look around at what's happening in the world, when I look around, I was at a, 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 there's a, a beekeeper on Bahra, the beekeeper yesterday in Balavorni for Mbulug, and he was talking about, he wasn't talking about statistics that they have in in, um, in Europe it wasn't talking about statistics that the government have he was talking about 25 years ago when the, all the different plants animals birds everything that he named all of the things that were just shook they were all over his area and his bees were happy bees because all of these things were his area and he said they're gone they're just gone they're gone where are they gone why are they gone and what value are, have we lost with them so can I can you sit and think, oh, I better I better, I better not sound like I'm a wanker by not saying some of these things um, because I don't want to offend that all part of me that doesn't want to offend anybody really because why would you offend anybody? Or can you just speak some of the truths that you've come across and say in some kind of a way that's an invite to people to say, maybe we need to change our behaviour in relation to the earth. And maybe if you develop a deep enough connection with the earth that, that change of behaviour will happen very automatically and it won't be something that someone says because they put a tax on you to change it won't be because of that it won't be because you're ordered to do it, it won't be because the government tells you or big brother tells you or somebody up the road tells you it's because you want to do it because you've built that connection and we're talking on a Hurling podcast and I know like that's it's wild stuff in some respects but the game has brought me to all of those things this game like this game that we love that he fell in love with every bit the same way as I did and as anybody who's listening I'm sure has fallen in love with the game in some way and this game has brought me to some of these realizations that I think maybe when I listen to some of the people who who echo them or who I've learned them from people like John Moriarty and Charles Eisenstein many 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 great many great minds like solid minds minds worthy of of their trust not people who are trying to sell you something or or taxi further or, or do something else just good strong solid minds who understand uh, about the depths of 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 the human experience uh, in a very clear way, and I think when you learn some of those things, you have to run the you have to run the gauntlet of being a wanker. You have to run the gauntlet of being of sounding like you're from a different planet, and and for people to say as the moneyless man up in uh, Rosco- up in Galway, Mark Boyle, as he said when he was coming out to the island, uh, he talked to the boat driver, and the boat driver said, "There's a fella out here." from who used to play Harland for Wexford but he lost his he lost his marbles and he ended up coming out to the west and then he said I went out and I met this fella and he didn't give me any appearance of a fella who'd lost his marbles and and I, that was like he, he, that, I know that I'm running that I know that I'm running that gauntlet and it's fine it's just fine because I yeah it's fine I know it's a long winded answer <laughs> to a question it's all good
3: but that's the way of it who's the best player you ever played with? Tom Dempsey
2: gave us like six answers yeah <laughs> there's, I suppose there's a couple of different characteristics like you know Damien Fitzhenry was the best at what he did who I ever played with unquestionably like the best there ever was my god like he was just so fucking good he was so good like you just couldn't believe how Still is. good Damien Fitzhenry was it's things is saw there. like a magician Rory McCarthy's balance for a fella to play the game for 12 years and I never in all of that time either with the Martins or Wexford saw him off balance he just always seemed to be in balance he always seemed to be in balance not that he always played good games bad games whatever but he was always he always had a poise he always had a a comfort in possession that I just thought was magnificent and Dara Ryan Dara Ryan because he was a leader of men without ever Trying to lead anybody, and he was somebody who, he's one of the few people I've ever seen who referees I felt were actually afraid to blow free against him. He seemed to get away with way more, he seemed to be able to do way more in a way that carried a great uh, respect from, from people, and I certainly had it for him. And I remain, it remains one of the highlights of my days. Clint <laughs> was to go for a bite <laughs> <run. laughs> in Sammy Sinens in Duncormack. Who was the toughest player you have ever met? I'd say Darren Stamp I'd say Darren Stamp was probably the toughest player I ever marked uh, I mean as I said Shefflin was elusive Tommy Welch was a genius uh, Tommy Welch would catch your hand in the air like, and he'd hold it and hold it and hold it and the last second then he'd release it and he'd catch the ball like, <laughs> like that level like that level of slowing time down and his, his just his whole joyful approach to the game I loved but Darren Stamp was probably the player I feared the most marking I just thought he was just hard as nails, and he was a brilliant hurler, and he was a pleasure to play with, and he was a pleasure to be a uh, to call a friend as well. He's just a, somebody I, I had huge respect for, uh, but had a healthy amount of <laughs> fear for as well yeah. for the days we played them with Owler because they were they were such a they were such a great team. Um, but I thought he was yeah he was a very special uh, he was a very special player Darren in in, in all of the skills that he combined. You know, I got to mark him myself. Uh, playing centre forward for Askamore, he was centre back for
1: Eulert. Oh, and then the man Willie Sunderland, told yeah. the goalkeeper. Don't be stupid now and put high balls down on top of Gary and Darren because Darren'll eat him up. What no did one. the goalkeeper do? Yeah. High balls down on
2: top of us. Uh, the, like, da- are, and are the, I'm not a fan. <the> like
1: <laughs> no, because
2: it'll be down in the other twenty-one and, uh, in the blink of a, in the blink of Darren's eye and a swipe of the horror. Yeah. Oh my God, he was a, a tyrant in the air. He was, was a tyrant. There he was, so strong. <laughs> but yeah, Darren was definitely uh, one. And then, I mean, outside, yeah. I made it my debut on Sean O'Halpin and I looked it up at him at one stage. And I was thinking, what game am I playing? And what game is he playing? <laughs> uh, there's some different, yeah, some different characters. But I'd say, to be honest, yeah, you'd never, you'd mark other fellas from other, other counties and you'd, you'd just think nothing of it. Like, you think nothing of it. It didn't matter who they were, you just would think nothing of because you wouldn't know. Yeah. Uh, I knew Darren from when I was 12. I, I, we played uh, in the Tony Forrest under 14 down in Watford and as a, a full someone was like know who's full back but got injured before during the game I think they got injured because the, the Tipperary forward had scored I think 5 goals in the first like, <laughs> 10 minutes and in half time I was I, I think I said it or somebody else said it I can't remember who but someone said like somebody please they put I don't know who Danny Conway or somebody in on the full forward and said just stop him just stop him with you and the first ball came in across the field and Darren the full forward went to get it over the sideline and Darren came in and swept your man out of it (laughs) and no more did that fella play the game and I just thought right that's a that's a good man there but I was on the I was on the wrong side of a few a few run-ins with him as well and I know, I, I always felt there was a, a mutual respect there and it was good good to earn the respect of somebody uh, who was as, as strong and as honest as Darren was uh, in the way that he played the game, you know. Was he on that minor team? He was, he was. He was probably out with us that night too. <laughs> 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 he wasn't dropped though. What type of harlot did you use? Randall. Didn't you? Randall.
1: Yeah. And
2: when you did your TED talk, you were holding uh, Philip Doyle's lash Galore, wasn't it? Do you know? I I, I I just got I got into the I got into the habit. We used to when Philip Senior was making hurdles, he used to bring him into my father and Clonard, and we used to try them out. Uh, and then Philip Junior started making them, and I and I and to this day, like there's few people in the GA who I'd have as much respect for as Philip Doyle. To be honest, I had such great time from. But I there was something in me with some of the hurdles that Randall gave me over the time. And and the great thing and to his eternal testament as well with Philip Doyle is he gets it. Like he's not he he never he, I never felt any like, oh, here he using in the Randall hurl. Yeah, yeah. he, he often, like, he, he keeps one of my Randall hurls. He has a Randall hurl up there, belong to me now, and he makes other hurdles off it. Yeah. Like, he just, he he holds the same respect for Albert in, in, in what Albert can do with a piece of wood. Yeah. Uh, and I think Philip can do it too, but I just got into the, the habit of, of Albert and there was something about ringing Albert and I'm telling you that he wouldn't have a hurdle for three months for you. But then, after a bit of a conversation to call out on Tuesday, and then when he'd call out on Tuesday, he'd have a hurdle that could sing like he just a hurdle that you were like, Okay, this, I just have to go out on the field with this, and this hurdle is going to do everything else for me because it's just so beautiful. A one, A one, you just feel it. And, we, and my father'd say it to me, He'd say, oh, Can you just stay out of the way of that hurdle? Stay out <laughs> of the way, just, just let it do its thing. And you felt that, and sometimes you get the second or the third one, you might get off, and you, it'd be a dud yeah. comparatively. But that uh, I, I got into the habit of feeling sometimes on the way out, Albert in the car. I was like, "What am I going to get? Is it going to be the hurl of hurles? Am I going to get the greatest hurl that was ever made?" Like that's that was the possibility of Albert. So I loved the, the Randall, and he had the big, he put the big back on it for me as well all the time, and yet held the balance, and the big back with that balance allowed for the the line balls that side was the, that you're, was you were the, the first man to be putting sidelines over I was copying Finland for sure like I saw little small tricks that Fendlin used to do with the grass and stuff like that and I was I was trotting after Edging Fendlin yeah. un- unquestionably but it was a skill that I uh, that I in the end you mastered very very I feel yeah I was I was, I was it was uh, an enjoyable it was an enjoyable part of the game I suppose maybe depending on the times a little bit too much but it was a very enjoyable thing, and when I hit the, the that against Cork in two thousand and twelve, when I hit own. the sideline, a sideline from from the sixty five that I'd never scored one from that far out in the game before, and I didn't even feel it leaving the hurl. I was just like, I'm sure I'm ready to go home now. Like you yeah. know, I'm, this is great. Like it's fucking, it's Was on, it it's it's on. better
1: than that evening in the
2: in the Duffery in front of all the? Yeah, none of them were looking at me, right? I just I just thought they were. Uh it wasn't. No, that was a sweet one because against Cork there's an aristocratic element to the Cork boys too, and you'd always feel like you wanted to Yeah you'd be up there with them and you held you'd, I'd held those fellas with in high regard, you know, Tom Kenny and Sean Ogan, those fellas, like you Gardner, they were a great team, like so to be doing it on on their day and a day like that to the point where now I was doing a thing recently down in on a and Sean Hog was down and he came down for a cup of tea afterwards and we chatted for a couple of hours and it was it's built on moments like that on the mutual respect of, of, of things he did. Yeah. for fadaw and and I and I'll be I assume anyway, because I feel it now, eternally grateful for my time with Wexford, eternally grateful to the people who put so much time into it to allow for that whole journey in my life to happen and for it to be the launch pad for all of these other things that I hope I can continue to glean learnings from a different world uh, because I do end up now in rooms that I would never end up in if I was still Harlan uh, and in Wexford. I end up in places where I see things that I never would have seen before or never thought about before and I want to take what's Valuable in those rooms, and bring them back to my my GA community and say, maybe this is valuable to us, and then it's just up to the, the it's just up to people to decide for themselves. But I want to be able to take it back and say, maybe this is a better way for us. Uh, maybe if we plant more ash trees, you know, maybe if we all have a polytunnel in our in our GA club, maybe children developing that. Little bit of a little bit of a wildness with in, in terms of our, an interaction with nature maybe our GA clubs will be better for that and maybe our environment will be better for that um, and and that's I think uh, it's it's a it's a privileged position to to be in and not different than to be here uh, with, with, with you guys it's a privileged position to be in to sit for an hour and a half and feet to listen with with a degree of interest uh, in in, in what you'd have to say over that length of time, you know, yeah. so. It's certainly a privilege for us to have you here. Well, thanks very much
3: for that. Uh, thanks very much, Gizzy. Yeah. Hope I wasn't too harsh.
2: <laughs> I think, you know, you were too harsh. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's good to have it, Ben. It's good to have it. It's good to have, the, it's good to have the grounding as well. So that was our part
0: two of our episode with Jimmy Ling. We hope you all enjoyed listening
1: as much as we enjoyed talking to him.
0: Um, tell me this, Gary. Where are you going to be on the twentieth of March?
1: The twentieth of March. I'm not sure, Ben. Why?
0: Well, I'm going to be in the courtyard ferns playing poker for an event run by the House of Cards for a fundraiser event for a ferns GAA club.
1: Oh, very good. A shameless plug for your home club. I like it, well, Ben.
0: Sometimes you have you have to do the, you have to support. You know. Um. Unfortunately. Shane Tompkins couldn't make it he couldn't make this episode as he is training to be a Eucharistic Minister very good hopefully we'll be back next week and hopefully he'll give us a listen in the meantime get in contact with us like, share retweet tell your friends
1: thanks very much and hopefully we'll be looking forward to a league semi-final stay safe most importantly I'd like to thank you, the people of Wexford, who stuck with us to a and case.
0: Right, Wexford!